conclude our, our, our arrival uh, series tonight in our sermonette over, uh, the ad, over this Advent series. And sermonette, that's a code word for slightly shorter than normal sermon. <laughs> so uh, the, the, tonight we're answering this question, uh, what is the true spirit of Christmas? After all, that's what we're asking you to participate in tonight. We're asking you to come and gather and get in the spirit of Christmas. But what is that? What is the true spirit of Christmas? That's such an important question to know the answer to this time of year. Because all month long, as I've, uh, I've had this dichotomy of these two different Christmas celebrations that take place this time of year. There seems to be this secular Christmas celebration and festivities that happens this time of year with all of its rituals and customs and traditions. And then there's the Christian Christmas that takes place with all of its traditions and customs and an emphasis on, on, deep, on a deep, powerful truth about a Savior's birth. And so which Christmas are you celebrating? Well, it's likely you may dabble in both, right? We, we grew, if you grew up, grew up in this culture, there are so many things that fly under the banner of Christmas that really have nothing to do with Christmas at all. Last night with the boys, I watched uh, the, the Galaxy Defenders uh, Christmas, or Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. That's what I had absolutely nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever. It was entertaining, but it had nothing to do with, with Christmas. Uh, it, but it was a Christmas special because it's just a, there's another holiday taking place. I want to make sure that you and I as Christians are participating in the Christian Christmas. And so that we don't get swept away in all of the stuff that, that doesn't matter ultimately at the end of the day. Uh, it has no eternal value. So many things that we can participate in have, have nothing to do with Christmas. But they, again, they're a Christmas activity. They have no bearing on you spiritually they, they, they will not affect you in any religious ways because it, it doesn't have anything to do with the Christ from which this holiday gets its name. So this evening, I want to invite you and challenge you to get in the, the spirit of Christmas in the truest sense. How can we do that? What's the fairest way to define this, the, the spirit of Christmas? Well, I think it would be according to the Bible. We, we can look at how people respond to the birth of Christ in Scripture. Uh, the, the, the people that are in these moments just before and just after who are in the Spirit, caught up in the Spirit, how do they respond? Surely that would help us to define the true spirit of Christmas that we are attempting to get into this year. So when you look into uh, to the events in and around Luke chapter 2 that we just read early, earlier, you'll see all sorts of different people. Now, we read Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20, but even if you turn the page just before that in Luke chapter 1, we see that Mary is pregnant, and one of, the, one of the things that she does in her pregnancy is she visits her cousin Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah are there, and they are described in a very specific way in Luke chapter 1. We are told that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result, she starts to worship and give thanksgiving. She says, blessed are you among women. She says this to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth, in response to, a, to this coming birth, she's full of worship and thanksgiving. Her husband, Zechariah, he's also described in a very uh, specific way. 
he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we know Elizabeth was pregnant as well. Her and Zechariah would give birth to John the Baptist. But this is before their births. They're both pregnant. And Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to worship. He begins to prophesy about what this means. Just after Jesus is born, what we just read about, those angels, it says a multitude of heavenly hosts were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then, of course, we have the shepherds who witnessed this multitude of heavenly hosts. These shepherds, when they went and found Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Jesus lying in a, in a manger, when they left there, they were worshiping God. They were praising God for what he had done. A Savior is being born. Now, in Matthew's account, he gives us a detail about a different group of men. That's not mentioned in Luke. The wise men or the magi. We're told in Matthew's account that they traveled from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So even these magi looking for the birth of this king, they were there to worship. And even King Herod, who they talked to when they, when they arrived on the scene, he picked up on the fact that they were there to worship this king. That's what made him nervous. We know that Herod, King Herod didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to, he wanted to kill this savior, this king. And so he tells these, these magi, hey, uh, if you ever do find this king that you came to worship, let me know so I can come worship him too. And by that I mean kill him. But he picked up on the fact that these people had come to worship this Savior. Now, there's a couple of people that don't get airtime, a lot of airtime in the Christmas season. Just after the birth of Jesus, we see Mary and Joseph, if you continue to read in Luke chapter 2, they go to the temple to offer a sacrifice. That's where those two turtle doves come into play. But they run into two people in the temple, and they respond to the birth of this Savior. One of these men is named Simeon. He's described as a righteous man, a devout man. He's there at the temple, older in age, and we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That captures our attention. What does he do? Uh, well, he, we're, we're told that the Holy Spirit told him something very specific. He said he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this man, Simeon, he would hang out at the temple and he's getting up there in age, and he was told, I'm not going to die until I have seen the Lord's Christ. Then I know it'll be my time. And sure enough, whenever Mary and Joseph arrive at the temple with Jesus, he bursts out into worship, being led by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 2, 29 through 32. Let me get there. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He's like, I can die now. I've seen this Christ, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So all of these different people with all of these, of this, the same response, even Anna, if you kept reading there, there's a lady named Anna. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she's a prophetess there at the temple and she begins to worship God as well. But what is the Christmas spirit, what is the spirit of Christmas supposed to be? Well, the answer is simple. According to Scripture, we see the spirit of Christmas is worship. Worship. It's wonder and gratitude towards God because of what he has done. He has sent a Savior. And so we are inviting you 
to participate in that worship because that is the true spirit of Christmas. You may have been caught up in all sorts of different Christmas festivities. Not even necessarily bad, but they don't have anything to do with the spirit of Christmas. Tonight, involve yourself in the true spirit of Christmas with worship by contemplating what we know about God. There's a song I want to read to you. Earlier in the, in the hymn we were singing, it referenced Mary's lullaby. There is a song in Luke chapter 1 that I want to read to you tonight. It's a song that's as Christmas as you can get, but you've probably never heard it sung. I can't say that I've ever heard the song I'm about to read to you. I have never heard this song sung in any way, shape, or form. But this song is as Christmas as you can possibly get. It's Mary's song of praise. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And it's called the Magnificat. So I'm going to read the entire song to you. I'm going to draw out three points from the first line. So we're not going to study all these lyrics that I'm about to read to you, but we're going to contemplate the first line in this song because I think it helps us to understand what worship is meant to be. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and I want to read to you verses 46 through 55, and maybe it's titled like it is in my Bible. This is Mary's Song of Praise, the Magnificat. I'll tell you why it's called that here in just a moment. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on his humble estate, on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now I just want to draw your attention to the first line of that song. The true spirit of Christmas is worship and it's worship from the soul. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. You know, when you're reading along in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you could pick any prophetic book in the Old Testament, any one of those major or minor prophets, and there is one lesson in there I guarantee you're going to learn. God hates superficial worship. He can't stand it. He is repulsed by it. You learn that in every single prophetic book. They all make that point. If, if you are involved in rituals and customs and sacrifices and songs and feasts that say they are about honoring God, but you don't participate those in a way that's from the soul, then God is repulsed by it. You have turned that which is supposed to be worship and turned it into something that is actually counterproductive. You have provoked God to anger if you participate in what is supposed to be worship, but it's not from your soul. And so God's people would fall into these ruts over time in which they would begin to do all of these things, but it wasn't worship from the soul. You know, when you look at that Greek word, 
It's one that you're familiar with. The Greek word for soul in this verse is psyche. It's our mind. Worship is something that happens from within. It's, it's us doing something from within, from who we are. So you could read that same verse just like this. Instead of, my soul magnifies the Lord, it could be, my psyche magnifies the Lord. What I know is making much of God. That is what worship is. We magnify the Lord. So that, that word magnify also, that's another word I want to point out to you. I mentioned earlier this song, and it may be titled this in your Bible, The Magnificent. Well, that's magnify. That's just the Latin word for magnify. So in, in the Latin translation of the Bible, which was used for centuries and centuries, the, the Vulgate, the first, the first word there is magnificate. And so this song is known as the magnificate because she says, my psyche magnifies the Lord. And so now when we enter into a heart of worship, we have to understand that here, here's what this is. It's, it's when my innermost self focuses, zooms in on the greatness of God. It's when we, when we take what we know and it causes how we feel about God to swell, to grow, to magnify. That is worship. Now, if you looked, now the, the Latin word is magnificate, but if you looked at the actual word that was written down by Luke, he wrote that in Greek. That, that Greek word, and I love to talk about Greek all the time, I'm sorry. I don't even speak Greek, but I love the study of words, so I like to look up definitions and things like that. That, that Greek word is megalonos. Like it's such a, such a big word, megalonos. Reminds me of like that, that mega boost button that used to be on stereos. Like if you, if you were like an 80s kid or a 90s kid, like I was born in 1980, so in the 90s I was a teenager, you would want a boom box for Christmas. That's what you were excited about, getting a boom box. If you could get a boom box to listen to like MC Hammer or Technotronic, like dude, that was where it was at. That's what you got excited about. And if you got a really nice boom box, some of you may remember this. Now, if you're, some of you are too young to know this, you can only see this stuff in a museum now. But these boom boxes would have a mega boost or mega bass button on them. And so if you were listening to MC Hammer or Technotronic, and it got to the good part of the song, you could go over there and hit the mega boost button and it'd be like, boom. Now that song got real, it got intense. That's when you could really get down with what was happening with this boom box. It emphasized the song. It was like suddenly it was MC Hammer on steroids, which is a terrifying thought in a lot of ways, but I don't want to get too distracted with that. But what our philosophy here at the Journey Church is something very specific, and it's something that we remind people over and over and over again. When you come to church at The Journey, we place a really low value on things like production. We place a really low value on things like entertaining you. If I have to entertain you, or if we as a, a church feel like we have to perform up here for you, it's exhausting. And it's not real, it's superficial. If we feel like I have to entertain you and you come be because you're entertained, how superficial does it get? It's not authentic whatsoever. And that's actually something that repulses 
God if you read his word. And so our philosophy here at The Journey is to put a low value on production and, and, and things like that. It's not that we don't want to do things with excellence. We want to do things with excellence, but we don't want to do things that make much of us. We put an emphasis on truth over and above things like production. We put an emphasis on truth because it's like we want to hit the mega boost on truth when you come to worship with us. We want you to know something. We want to tell you something about God from his word. We want you to understand something about him because it's from your psyche. It's from within. It's from what you know and who you are. That's where worship comes from. So if you don't know him, if you aren't thinking about some attribute of God or who he is or what he's done, you're not going to worship. You can be emotional all day long. You can get caught up in the music and all of that. But if you're, not, if, you, if you're not caught up in what you know about God, you're not worshiping him. Worship rises up from what the heart comprehends. Worship rises up from what the mind understands. Worship is never uninformed. Superficial worship is often uninformed. Mary, in her song of praise here, she's caught up in a heart of worship because she understands something. She understands what the arrival of this baby means. Did you hear what it meant? It meant salvation has come. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's why she's magnifying the Lord. That's how she's able to magnify the Lord in her heart and mind. She's exalting the Lord because of his work of salvation in her life. This is the Christmas spirit in the truest sense. And so if you've come to participate in a worship service, if you've come to actually praise God, it comes from that which you know to be true about God. Participate in that sense. Think about what this time of year is meant to teach us about who God is and what he has done and allow that truth to be magnified in your heart and your affections for God will swell based on what you know. Salvation is what this birth means to the Christian. And we feel that in our innermost being. So are you participating in worship this Christmas? Because that's the true spirit of Christmas. That's what I want to challenge you to take part in. And it's not even something that starts and ends here. We take what we know to be true about Jesus, about what his birth means, what we've been emphasizing all month long, and we contemplate those things this time of year that our affections for God would grow, that our faith would grow, and that we would worship him. So let's continue in these Christmas hymns, but as we sing about these truths, let them sink down into your bones. Let these truths sink down into your hearts and minds that you can truly magnify the Lord with us. Let's pray, and then we'll stand and continue to worship in a time of communion. Lord, we thank you so much for your word so that we can worship. Because, of, Lord, if we didn't have your word that teaches us about you, we wouldn't know about you. If we didn't have your word, Lord, we couldn't contemplate these things. We couldn't have our affections grow Lord, it's you, the Spirit, that has given us your word that we can grow in this way and that we can magnify who you are and what you've done. Lord, will you help us do that this evening as we walk into a time of communion? I pray, Lord, for all of those here. Maybe they've been to church a thousand times, but they've never worshipped. Lord, I pray that tonight would be different. I pray that 
by your spirit, Lord, they would think about these truths and be changed. All to your glory and your glory alone. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.